Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. installment in the Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery podcast. It's a diary of recovery. I don't know what that word I attempted to say just was. Uh, This has got to be chapter 23, something like that. Maybe 24. We're in the early 20s here. Sometimes I think I start off with the as many of the tenets as come to mind each time not only as a reminder for everybody out there but a bit of a reminder for myself that you're not alone that you have strength within that their mornings are hard and here I am about 7.30 in the morning you can hear the cicadas around me. It's actually Labor Day. Uh, to not be alarmed by the dissociation of displacement, and that's definitely one of the ones that's come on top of mind for me today as I sit down to record. That even amidst all that, there is still sanctuary and no contact, which uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Setbacks are not a reason to stop. And I think I'm in the midst of another one at the moment, to a degree. That's important to reflect on your recovery because rediscovery is recovery. And oftentimes, at least in the struggle period, it's living through a nightmare to chase the dream of no longer having to fight this uphill battle. And for as unhealthy as it might be and as difficult as it might be, the past has a tendency to lurk. And there's a lot of anger and acceptance thrown into the mix with all of this, as well as expectations versus experience. And then sometimes things that seem like they're going to be new beginnings turn out to be setbacks. It's, it's, it's like waves in the ocean, right? They come in and then they recede and they come in and they recede and the tide gets higher and the tide goes out. It's a giant organic day-by-day experience and I'm trying really hard to get better with that, with accepting that, with accepting things as they are and not allowing this more emotional side of me to 
get caught up in the dwelling and constant futility of trying to assign meaning or definition or reason to everything. Some of these things that we experience don't have the type of rhyme or reason that, say, a story beat in a movie might or um, a message point in somebody's self-help uh, <laughs> agenda uh, or, um, you know, something that makes it have a tangible explanation. You know, when you think about how on the planet we're all beings winging it interacting with other beings winging it and how the uncertainty in that leaves all this room in the vacuum between us for misunderstandings, miscommunications for false expectations or misinformed expectations I don't know and we all have to start figuring out the criteria by which we judge our progress and our planning and our you know the work we need to do to get to each new level of goals that we set for each other I'm very tempted to call this chapter less than zero because I feel like I'm at the point that I've always feared the most. And in some ways it's disappointing to a level that invites or makes room for more depressive feelings. Um, but at the same time, there's a certain element of it being sort of freeing because, okay, now you're here. You don't have to be afraid of that anymore because you're experiencing it and you're still getting up each day, doing what you can to move forward and to mitigate and to rebuild. But I've actually officially hit the point that I, I'm calling homelessness, even though I don't I'm not living in a cardboard box on the street, but after the recent debacle with an extremely overbearing, narcissistic living landlord, which I very colorfully described a couple chapters back, probably betraying a certain level of um, immaturity on that front, but... Nonetheless, I don't think anything I said was inaccurate or undeserved. And I think there's a certain level of trying to find the line between where you're standing up for yourself and where you're crossing the line and becoming mean or childish. But by that same token, there's a certain amount of 
I think, unavoidable truth to the fact that the reason some of these more abusive folks, whether they're passive-aggressive or whether they're overtly abusive, for their behavior to have reached a level of comfortability and sort of daily occurrence and sort of that's just how I am, take it or leave it, is because not as many people have left it or not as many people have stood up to it or no one's really called it out. And so part of the challenge in navigating all of this is not continuing to lose yourself in dealing with these situations as they arise, but also having the wherewithal to stand up for yourself when you need to. Because one of the things that is... uh, sort of endemic with the phenomena of the narcissistic abuse and the sort of struggle in the aftermath is um, a sense of weakness, a sense of less confidence than you once had. In fact, that's And one of the practices I've taken up in the last two months is doing a daily manifestation journal, doing the 369 method. In the morning, you write down the things you desire three times, and in the middle of the day, you write it six times, and at night, you write it nine times. And this is supposed to help manifest these things into your life. And uh, confidence is one of the things on the list for me, because as much as doing this show was a huge step and opening up to a crowd outside of my immediate circle of my support system of family and friends which the friends side does seem to be I don't want to say dwindling but the proximity of some of my friends is so uh, non-existent because everybody lives in such different disparate areas of the country that it's almost like well At least we keep in touch on Facebook, right? And at least in spirit, people can be there for each other. The same way when I see friends struggling and posting about it and I comment that I'm there for them and if they ever need anything, reach out, you know? And we definitely all need that. I mean, the loneliness factor increases the difficulty of having to figure this out. But not having people around that you can directly go to, like if if it was at its worst and you had to escape, where can you go to even just crash on a couch just so you can still have a roof over your head? Um, I'm starting to feel the toll that having been so far away from my family for these last two years has exacted on me. and. So that's where I'm at now. I'm crashing with the folks for a little while while I look for a place and continue to look for a job. I mean, I think perspective is a big deal with all this because I keep bouncing around between, well, I have so much work going on right now, freelance-wise, that almost having to dedicate time to looking for a place and looking for a job is making it 
precarious to continue to get all the work done that I need to get done. But at the same time, after the next month or two, once that work is done, I need to have more work to replace it. So it's sort of like a catch-22 type of feeling. And this is why I wanted to call the episode Less Than Zero, because especially the psychological effect of realizing that you're basically homeless or that in lieu of legitimate homelessness or the homelessness that you would hear discussed on TV and the news and by politicians, I've yet again become a burden, an undue burden, at least in my mind. And when I've voiced this opinion, I've been told that I'm not and that I need to stop thinking about it that way. But just hearing that doesn't exactly make it, this feeling disappear. And while I'm eternally grateful that this was an option I was able to take as I regroup and uh, plot my next strategic move here, it was one I was definitely trying to avoid. And, um, and I feel like one of the things I've gotten too used to in all this is swallowing enough pride to be able to just be honest about things with everybody and so this past weekend we were celebrating my brother-in-law's 50th birthday and one of his best friends from um, I guess growing up he's known him for a long time and his wife uh, came down to Delaware along with my brother-in-law and my sister and their kids for the celebration and the celebration was amazing we had this professional chef who's appeared on cooking shows on netflix and is um filming a pilot for possibly his own cooking show that's going to get pitched to a couple of food networks a guy named hari cameron in rehoboth delaware is where his uh, current restaurant is and it was it, the the food was incredible the food was amazing the atmosphere was amazing the whole event was incredible but and this, i know that this is my insecurity this is my psychological issue going on because as far as i can tell no one was really judging me but you know, just the sort of innocent getting to know you type questions when his friend said, so where are you living right now? Not knowing that I'm staying with my parents, not indefinitely, but for the time being. And I had to say, well, here, you know, and, you know, uh, it didn't seem to affect the way he interacted with me. In fact, when they left to go back, I guess they live up in Long Island, my sister and brother-in-law went out to lunch with them while we took the kids to the pool. And when they came back, my brother-in-law was like, dude, they loved you. They thought you were hilarious. They really had a great time. They want to hang out with you again. And, and here I am constantly thinking, and I don't know if this is because I had always had such a unfairly harsh view of people in different circumstances than me. You know, in the times before I had this hard-knocked life 
uh, style education and how things can evolve to this point well against any planning or forethought that you might have had. I don't think people decide to become homeless. I don't think people purposely gamble to become homeless. I mean, I certainly gambled with the choices I made in life, but I thought I was making a safe bet or a much safer bet than I was. And that's because some of the people involved were not honest. And there's only so much of the responsibility can be laid at your feet when you were being lied to or when you were being manipulated or being abused and so it's a struggle for me to move past this feeling of I guess harsh judgment on myself and I'm trying to let go of it because when you're trying to manifest your future and you're trying to align your mind into a much more positive mindset the fact that this kind of doubt and self-deprecation keeps creeping in is is creating the opposite effect. It's pulling energy away from anything that could have been positive. And I almost feel like sometimes I make it a point to talk about these things here because I feel like in a way it's me exercising it from within myself like a like a demon I'm trying to release, but I also know, too, whenever there's been a presence of alcohol, and I don't know, maybe I'm getting to a point in my life where sobriety in, in all forms, not just from marijuana, which at this point I'm, hold on a second, 27 plus 31 is 58 plus another 4, 262 days sober for marijuana. But I do still socially drink. Um, and on the night of the uh, the chef cooking here, like he come, he came to my mom's house and cooked here, brought all kinds of equipment and flat flatware with him. It was it was an impressive one man show, you know. Um, we went through so much wine. I was drinking a lot of wine. I wasn't drunk though, but it was enough of a buzz that everything was sort of like magical you know and I know in the days that follow me indulging alcohol beyond a beer or two or beyond a single drink or a single glass of wine or two at the most the depressive side the depressant effect is very prevalent for me uh, I'm I am sure the trauma of recent years can be held to account for why it's so intense, but uh, the whole idea of mornings being hard is exacerbated at least threefold if there was alcohol involved. So even if things have been generally becoming more positive, if I've been aligning myself more, I've been able to sort of mentally be in a better place the alcohol sort of almost becomes a bit of a setback that I, you know, actively indulged in. Even to the point where there are times I'm, you know, and I'm, I've mentioned it all the time on this show, 
times where I'm sitting there going like, man, it'd be great to smoke a joint right now. You know, I mean, it was funny because I was even chatting with my new my my brother-in-law's friends and his wife about marijuana. And, you know, um, it's interesting to be able to talk about it and then also throw in the caveat of like, yeah, but, you know, I was a pretty heavy habitual smoker for like 20 years. I'm right now over 250 days sober and they're kind of like surprised at like, oh, wow. Well, congratulations, and you're like, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, okay, cool. We're, it's not a, it's not a, yet another thing that's going to cause negative judgment against you. I mean, that's the hardest thing is is just being real with yourself and real with everybody else because you start to realize how much of our lives are wrapped up in these protective cocoons we build around ourselves. And the things that we tell ourselves to twist the truth about, oh, it's okay because it's just pot, or oh, it's okay because it's just a few glasses of wine, it's just a few beers, it's just a few this, it's just a few that. But reality can be a heavy weight sometimes, especially when you're not where you want to be. And to such a degree that you have no idea how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be. You start to doubt that the where you want to be might even exist. And that's part of, I almost want to call it magic because of the way these folks who are in the know and try to um, post content to teach manifestation and the power of positive thinking and things along these lines it's having to let go of that doubt because that doubt is holding you back you know and having to find a way to trust the universe and trust the forces around you that they can tell that you you're the sincerity of what you desire the sincerity of you wanting to better yourself the sincerity of you wanting to heal and we get wrapped up. One of the manifestation gurus I was watching on uh, Instagram reels said a big thing we get wrapped up in is the how, you know, you ask the universe for what you want and or you tell it, you know, I, I need $10,000 or I need $20,000 or I need a new house or I need a new car and you try to manifest it and then. You ask, but then instead of just sitting back and waiting for the universe to do its thing, you get caught up in, well, how is that going to happen? Where is that money going to come from? It's very hard to not be constantly worried about the how. And especially if um, the world you're used to, because I think that's another thing that compounds with all this is the fact that our world is changing so much, so it makes dealing with everything from personal issues to financial issues to um, life in general, strategic thinking, planning, it all takes on a different tone than maybe what you were used to from growing up or from even, maybe not even growing up, not too long ago, there was just such a different atmosphere. Hey. 
Trixie. Hey. Stop. I mean, it would be nice to be able to just worry about, hey, stop it. Stop. I'm doing something. You know, it used to be you would just have to worry about either the emotional stuff or the financial stuff. You know, um, maybe you have a job and everything's okay, and as long as you have a job, you don't have to worry. The rent will get paid, your groceries will be bought, everything is going to be okay on that front, but then the emotional side is being neglected. Or if you're emotionally okay and you don't have your finances lined up, at least you're not kind of losing your mind. Um, And now we've seen unprecedented changes in the world, at least unprecedented for our lifetime. I mean, you know, and the caveat is you're saying all this, I'm saying all this after a global pandemic where, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, almost to the year, you know, 1918, 2019, people faced the same thing with the Spanish flu. But, you know, we never expected the world to take a turn where we would be locked down or mandated to take vaccines or, you know, face losing our livelihood because of a virus that was deemed so um, dangerous and transmittable that people had to literally just stay indoors for a year or two, which did quite a number on our psyche and psychological health, both on individual basis and as a society. And then you see that as people are gradually coming out of the caves, they're sort of not sure how to interact anymore. And then we have this whole, you know, sort of shift in the landscape of there are intangible jobs. There are people making money on YouTube and on the internet in ways that they didn't before. Everybody's now a porn star. You know, there's a platform for that. There actually were platforms for that before, but not everybody was taking that route. And now it's sort of like, well, I think for some it's a choice. And then for some, they saw it as the only way they were able to sort of make a living to sustain themselves, but then it opens up all these new sort of social conversations about acceptability uh, uh, from, I don't know, maybe a traditional morality standpoint, or is there even a morality standpoint anymore? Should there be a morality standpoint? I think in the late 80s and 90s, the, the term was family values, and not everybody agreed on what those should be, nor probably should there be a full social consensus on it. But now... You see how we have the sort of one foot in, one foot out, where people are trying to decide, like, okay, so someone decided to be a DIY porn star or or supermodel, and at the same time, they still want the sort of quote-unquote normalcy of being able to have regular relationships and and be considered marriage material. It's funny, I'm bringing this up because... There's a lot of topics these days that it's difficult to have public discourse on because we've gotten to a point where people feel like if they've been offended at all, 
it's justification to shut the conversation down because they shouldn't have to worry about being offended or they shouldn't have to experience being offended. And by doing so, we're losing the ability to explore topics. Um, and so right now, Miley Cyrus's brother, younger brother, and it's interesting because Miley Cyrus is someone who definitely walks the line. I mean, she's on the verge of showing her vagina to the audience pretty much constantly. And definitely is very comfortable being provocative and has been even from a young age where at one point she was a child star, right? So she was sort of in what we would have, you know, commonly looked at as maybe going into the role model phase. And then slowly, I mean, she ruined a dude's marriage on the MTV Video Music Awards one year by by grinding up against Robin Thicke. Um, and yeah, not that he's not to blame also I mean that, that whole choreography there's definitely you know by the time we see things on TV and in the media you have to realize that it's gone through several layers of review and so if it's making it to air somebody somewhere signed off on it so if we're seeing it and going hey what the hell that means somebody else already saw it and said no don't worry no one will say what the hell it'll be fine people understand and then you find out that the dude's wife left him. Now, it's again, uh, this is all about relationship dynamics, right? In some of these cases, you know, think about this is a time where Kevin Costner is getting divorced from his wife who is leaving him because he continued to make a TV show, which is earning him lots and lots of money, you know? And it's the kind of thing where when I think about a relationship like a marriage, it would seem that if somebody was using their profession to earn a living that was allowing you to live a very lavish and comfortable lifestyle, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stand the relationship up against that. You wouldn't want to hinder that because you're benefiting from that because they're supporting you and you're supporting them and it's a team effort, right? So... Unless there's more going on behind the scenes, which there has to be. That's the kind of thing where you're like, this would be like a lawyer whose spouse says, if you take on one more case, I'm divorcing you. Even though taking on cases is what allows them to earn a living, which allows them to pay for their life. So, you know, if that's sort of the level we're at... Which is the stranger side? That the sex worker wanting to still be considered viable marriage material and respected the same way a lawyer or a doctor would be respected, or for the celebrity to say, you know, it's kind of crazy that these people want to go around and flaunt themselves and put content out that's going to live forever on the internet, can never be taken down, and then still expect somebody to want to commit their life to them and be loyal to them and I mean is fidelity going to be a thing do sex workers get a pass I mean I know this is no, nothing new to the porn industry there are plenty of porn stars who are married and then spend their days having sexual intercourse with people who aren't their spouse um, 
I think typically they would marry other porn stars, so maybe just a accepted thing. And plus, there's also all these things like polyamorous lifestyles and swinging and all these things where, you know, sex isn't the locked down only between the spouses kind of situation that most of us probably grew up in the last 20, 30 years thinking it was. Perhaps there is a sect of people who were from the 60s and the free love generation, the pre-STD storm of AIDS <laughs> generation that probably have different views on sexual fidelity. But in general, it is something that goes against the grain of the norm. And so I think it behooves anybody to be at least able to discuss it without drawing lines in the sand that say, if you feel this way, you're automatically the bad guy. Ew, dog, ew. How dare you? How dare what? I'm sure there are things you probably have opinions on that I disagree with. Am I supposed to disavow you completely as a person? So I, you know, made the mistake, apparently, of agreeing with a comment that was posted by Miley Cyrus's brother that I should probably be looking up and reading verbatim, but it, to the effect that it said, you know, it's pretty wild that these people want to go and create OnlyFans accounts and live this type of lifestyle and then expect to still be considered marriage material. And then the fact that so many people would line up and pay money for erotic images betraying sort of this level of how much of a loser they actually are because why spend money like that on such a consistent basis the fact that this is like a subscription service right so you're paying x dollars per month to constantly be getting new content <clears throat> that is kind of well i mean how different is it than subscribing to playboy but at least playboy was of all the publications it was a little bit more on the tame side right it was just photos and articles and interviews but you know there were other magazines that were still photos from clearly taken while a much more active <laughs> event was taking place <coughs> or other content was being filmed I don't know it's such a gray area it used to be I think it's the fact that everything used to be localized right like if you wanted to be a movie star, you went to Hollywood. You wanted to be a porn star, you went to the Valley. You wanted to do computers, you went to Silicon Valley. You wanted to do Wall Street or, or stock trading, you went to New York. You wanted to be in comedy, you went to Chicago. But now, because of the way we've all started to look at the world differently, because they saw that even locked down, people were able to work from home. Thank you, Internet. Other people are like, well, I could be a comedian from home. I could be a porn star from home. I could be a movie star. We could make web series. I could be a YouTube star where, you know, I think there's certain aspects we have to look at it. The appetite for content and what people will spend their time and their money watching has hit a level that is very hard for people who've been trying to crack the code for 20, 30 years. And put the onus on, oh, I just have to get that right script, or I just have to get that right part, or I just have to buy the right camera and shoot the right short and get it into the right festival and get it in front of the right eyes to be able to get more money to do a better version of it. You know, that has sort of just floated away into the ether, and there are people who 
it almost would seem at times fall ass backwards into these opportunities that then maybe they really didn't even have the chops or the skills to maintain into something viable that we would have considered like a real career or light or body of work yet they're getting that opportunity they're they're being given not only that chance but the platforms um, and then, uh, granted, all this is going to change what we're seeing happening with the strikes by the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild and the um, Screen Actors Guild. Uh, actually, I'm sure I, I misspoke there. The Directors Guild is not allowed to strike, but the Screen Actors Guild striking right now and the Writers Guild striking right now basically have the entire entertainment industry ground to a halt and it's threatening it to a level where we may never see the entertainment industry rebound to what we are used to seeing for all this time and a lot of it is because these new platforms like the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes and the way that they sort of dove headfirst into using technology differently than it had been used before without taking into account how this would affect the way the established systems of royalties and payments and how people earned their money for the work they were doing was going to evolve with it to the point now i mean some of the things they suggested with this for folks who aren't in the know is the idea of no longer having right likeness rights be a factor in play here that studios would be able to pay actors especially background extras, people below that top tier of uh, theatrical draw legends like the Tom Cruises, although I'm sure they're thinking about doing this with them as well, to a degree, um, just to hire them for a day to come in and get scanned head to toe, get their face photographed from every possible angle, and then they don't even need them to come in anymore. They ha now have their image that they can use computers to manipulate and be able to constantly just make content without ever having to pay them again. It's the not ever having to pay again part that I think is beyond audacious. It would be like saying, hey, you know, we're going to take that song you wrote and we're not going to pay for the licensing beyond the first single time that we use it. But because we paid for that, we should be able to use it forever. You know, it's sort of, you know, that's never been the case with music. Music has always been a consistently you have to keep re-upping your licensing fees right you have to keep paying for new licensing for new projects so the fact that they would even suggest this the writers went on strike because the studios also wanted to do this thing where they would let the ai algorithms the chat gpts of the world write the scripts take that first pass build the story and then let a human come in for like a day or two and fix it quote unquote fix it you know adjust the dialogue a little bit give it that human flavor again and it's kind of a scary idea and it clearly is the idea that somebody who is a business person and not an artist would have right because people who aren't creative people who aren't artists people who don't have that side of their brain firing don't see the value of that intangibility like you can't explain the value of inspiration or the value of ideation yeah, and you can't explain how to have an idea. You can't explain how to come up with a story. So all these AI algorithms can do is take everything that already exists, study it and look for patterns, and then try to emulate those patterns without any understanding of what makes each story unique or what makes one story more effective or powerful than another. So you're taking away part of what makes these things special in the first place, part of what makes these things 
something that the rest of the people in the world, wow, the cicadas are getting loud. Part of what makes these things something that the world wants to pay money to experience and view and have become a part of their story, you know? And in the same, in the same, by that same token, though, having no gatekeeper, having no set standard, no gold standard, no industry standard, there are plenty of people who probably wouldn't be considered talented or wouldn't be considered attractive in the sense we're used to, maybe, or people you would even want to see. Uh, performing erotic content um, or provocative content and yet they're putting themselves out there they have at least the ability with platforms like an OnlyFans or a YouTube or you know Spotify for podcasters <laughs> and um, and they're at the same time wanting to they feel entitled to the same respect and consideration that people who actually had to have the talents that allowed there to be an industry in the first place were given. And, you know, it sort of follows along with a lot of this real interesting social imbalance of everyone feeling entitled to a level of respect that's beyond reproach, which then, uh, or whether it's earned or not, and that then ties this whole idea of, like, how dare you offend me? How dare you insult me? How dare you disagree with me? How dare you disagree with me publicly? Um, and we've sort of lost the humbleness of understanding that we are one speck of dust amongst the whole cloud, that we are one grain of sand on the beach. Um, and while, yes, everybody, I think, is entitled to dignity, you know, trust and respect are things that you kind of need to earn, especially if it's supposed to be within a specialization or something that traditionally is considered a talent, you know, where uniqueness and originality are celebrated. And so there's a certain level of people not wanting to do the work to get there. And then there's also a certain level of imagery, right? I mean, there are, there are some of these adult models and adult entertainers and adult content creators that have built a brand around themselves. And I'm talking about not the ones that are doing it on their own, using the OnlyFans and using the platforms at hand and not going out to the valley, not going into the traditional beast system. And... Even with all what they call the simps out there, the people who are just lining up to throw their money at it because somehow they imagine this connection between themselves and the artist that doesn't probably really exist. And so then you start to look at some toxicity there and, and is it right for them to cash in on that knowing that they're sort of contributing to a potential mental illness, the simps, <laughs> the simp army. But then at the same time, they'll still have to beg for money to pay their rent because as much as it seems like they're living the lavish life, it's not enough. It never is. And now, especially with the way our economy is going, nothing's enough. The cost of food is skyrocketing. The cost of everything is skyrocketing. 
So there's a certain level there where survival dictates. You have to do what you have to do, right? So, you know, maybe it's a little harsh to be feeling ashamed of having to retreat to home territory because then the other the only other option is what then begging on the internet <laughs> saying can somebody please help me pay my rent um, I don't know what's worse or what should make you feel worse or if we should feel bad about any of it and it's that quandary that conundrum that just makes all of this difficult This episode's been very rambly. It's obviously a result and combination of lots of interesting dynamics intersecting at times that it was unexpected to be. And still trying to figure out how to hold on to that personal dignity, you know, while trudging forth and not giving up. The ultimate key, though, is the not giving up part. Because there are some, there's, there's always been points. There's been plenty of points where it would, it's so overwhelming that it would be easier to just say, fuck it, I don't know. Wait for them to come and drag me out of the house because I'm being evicted, right? Or, uh, I definitely don't mean to sound ungrateful and I definitely don't mean to sound like an overly harsh critic. I think when we're in a time where, you're chastised for even wanting to have the conversation. It's hard not to sound that way. And I also think it's very easy for people to just paint you in that light to write off anything you have to say because some of the things you have to say might force them to take a little bit of a look in the mirror and maybe justify not only to themselves but to everybody they're making the arguments to why their argument has merit, you know? For someone to reply, ew, dog, ew, for me to, for, to me agreeing with somebody's sentiment, uh, I think is a little, it's a little arrogant, you know, because I've seen plenty of posts from the same person asking the questions about like you know why is life so hard why well you know a certain amount of it is there are things beyond our control but you have to also look at your own choices and you can't get upset with the rest of the world if your choices didn't end up the way you wanted them to and then once you think take into account the fact that some of these people are parents and now they're the ones who are setting a foundation for the next generation of their family and you're trying to get mad at me for having an opinion about how people make a living when really your only concern should be providing for your child. You know, we have to all look at our priorities. Is it better to be right or better to be comfortable and alive? We're just alive. And in a sustainable situation. And I think we conflate those two a lot. But being right isn't always what's going to put food on the table or keep a roof over your head. Thus proven by the people who are safe in their feeling of being right and then yet still every once in a while have to ask for help paying the bills. 
And then they just throw their cash app. And that's the thing. There's an arrogance there. Hey, help me pay my bills. Here's my cash app. I know some of the people who pay to see me naked will throw me some extra money to help pay the electric bill. Like, okay, listen, I'm not going to begrudge somebody surviving. But I am going to begrudge somebody trying to make me into a bad guy for having an opinion on, on that. Because I'm not, it's not like I'm not out here also judging myself for the, the choices I made. And trying to find ways to fix it short of beg begging people on the internet for help. The only help I beg for is can anybody point me in the direction of a job opportunity? Can anybody let me know if they know of an apartment becoming available? Is anybody looking for a roommate? Can we, can we tag team this challenge of life? So there's perspectives here. And you don't have to be right all the time. And that's a big one. I think that's a, a hard one for people to think about. You don't have to be right all the time. In fact, one of the hardest parts, right? The first step of all of these figuring things out sort of situations is admitting that there's something to figure out, right? The first step in, a, in the 12 steps of recovery is admitting that you have a problem. Well, when you're so much more concerned about other people's opinions lining up with yours regardless of whether they're helping you pay your bills or not, you might want to re-examine your priorities. Plenty of us have to do it over things far less controversial. And the interesting thing is, you know, the thing that I'm embarrassed about, admitting that I had to retreat home, when you're telling somebody and they don't react negative, negatively to it, they're like, oh, well, that's great, because then you could help out around here, and, you, you know, you get to spend more time with your family, and that's something I'm sure all of us at some point down the road, you know, no one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I had spent less time with my family, really. I mean, unless the family situation wasn't good. Um, you know, there are positives to be seen in it that might be hard to see when you're in the midst of the struggle, but I don't know. I understand feeling less than zero. When you're at a point that you were trying to avoid at all costs, and it was the only point left to get to in order to be able to regroup and try again, letting go of that disappointment and even still shame, I guess, too, is not as easy as the way some of the gurus might make it seem. Like, oh, you just stop feeling that way. You just turn it off like a light switch. Well, some of us have a harder time doing that than others. But I can see their point because a lot of, a lot of time and energy gets sucked up in this sort of feedback loop of how, why, how did this happen? It happened. Try to hold on to the free, the freedom that comes from like, all right, well, it happened and I'm still alive. It happened and I'm still here. It happened and I still have a chance to move forward and fix it. Figuring out how it happened other than to learn from it so that it doesn't happen again serves no purpose. Moving forward is far more important. And it's really hard to see how to do that when you feel like you're on less than zero. But there's only one way to go from that. 
and that's back into the positive, right? So maybe some of these people are at odds with some of my opinions, would be open to a conversation, and we don't even have to agree. We don't even have to get to a point where we all say, oh, yeah, you were right, I was right, you were wrong, I was wrong. We can just agree to disagree. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's something that more people in the world need to be comfortable with. We don't all have to have consensus. But we have to be willing to share the planet with people who have different opinions than us. It's a conundrum, that's, that's for damn sure. Well, anyway, if any of this is resonating with anybody out there, you know how to get in touch. Hollow9podcast at gmail.com. It's the word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you're dealing with the same things, if what you're finding on your journey is in any way similar but thank you for being on the journey with me thank you for continuing your healing process let's get through this let's get to the other side until next time you've been listening to a production of the hollow nine network feeling it healing it a diary of recovery featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes. <laughs>